Hello, I'm Carl Phillips. And I'm Francine Harris. And this is Wellversed with FSG. In this episode, we'll be talking together on poems that Francine and I picked from each other's books to have a discussion about. I wondered if it would be useful for us each to read our poem. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Do you want to go first? All right. Forest bathing for trees. Trees in other cities gather and send out information. The beach, the Sylvatica, the Chinese birch, judging from the smell of diverted root. I get more done with you in these curated woods. Time now is my humility. It scooches over when we sit out under hydrangea on a stone bench. I trust you with the hammock and I lie beneath your spiders in the wind. The Japanese garden is closed at this hour. A group of teenagers gather with a chaperone and reach laughing for wax bags they are told are full of squash sandwiches. There is always another hill to climb, and those kids were, all of them, brown. One day I won't have to say how gravel gathers sun, but today we mention its shutter frame. We talk about its dance and orange petals. In this city, roads shoot up, and we don't park on them. We drive roundabout and try not to think too slow. Someone here in Boston always wants you out of the way, but I remember the branch as it sways, and I remember how much I have loved, and I remember watching others light fire and wanting to get inside it. And I want to ask, but don't, if then, were we more like trees, sending out seed signals on a breeze, reaching for each other in the dark, where it is cooler and want is damp? Or are we more like trees now, sedentary, old and stuck, endangered and disbelieved? That's the first time I've read that. I'm glad you did. I, the reason this poem, it was hard to select because obviously I love all the poems in the book. And which we should say, by the way, is from Here is the Sweet Hand. Right. It's coming out on FSG when? August. Oh, yes. August, August 4th is the pub date. Right. And I was just, I started thinking about this throughout the course of your book, that there's a lot of, there seems to be a fair amount of talk about, or nature is often the context. And I thought about the anthology that Camille Dungy did, Black Nature, mm-hmm. and how at the time when that came out, I think people were a little surprised that, oh, you know, black people have actually been engaging with the natural world right. uh, for a long time. And yeah. I, and, and that it, we're not always writing about a fixed number of subjects that people try to sort of box us into. Um, but I'm interested in how you engage with the natural world in this poem. At the same time, you're also, as if incidentally, adding the level, the layer of race mm-hmm. by mentioning the specifics of, the the kids all being brown who were there on the field trip. And also I'm interested that it's a woods, but it's a curated woods. And what that what that might mean. And I guess I'm I'm pretty fascinated too with the open-endedness of the ending and this idea of what I get from it is that in youth we were still 
sending out signals, maybe like those children. We were still sending our signals out and trying to be heard, which suggests we believed we might be heard. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we accept that we're disbelieved and always kind of have to be on the defensive. And I don't know, something about, I guess I find it a, a poem that seems to talk about the process of getting older and what the cost of wisdom is and, and how youth is so vulnerable. And at the same time, it's a period of hope and, and somewhere in here, also, when, when you talk about there, there are people who want you out of the way, what's given as a kind of antidote to that or a weapon against it is remembering the branch that sways and, and having loved. And the idea that to love can still be a form of resistance. So anyway, I don't have a specific question, just to say that's why I isolate it. And I don't know what you might want to say about the poem at all. No, I I appreciate all of that, Carl. It's amazing that you have that read on it. I mean, you know, I think what happens when you write poems is that sometimes things happen a little um, accidentally, and then you realize that it's not really that much of an accident at all. Like, the containment of nature here in this poem is just because this is a poem that was about a specific memory at the botanical garden in Mm -hmm. Boston, which is sort of contained, but it's interesting that you say it that way because when I went there, I remember thinking like, how did I not know about this place? This place is gorgeous. I mean, it's really an amazing, it's it's actually probably the nicest and most um, complex contained natural space that I've been in, even though I've I've not traveled much overseas. So that probably wouldn't be true if I'd been to like Europe, but I just remember being sh- a little shocked that I didn't know that it was there. But I suppose that sort of gets back to the idea that, you know, if you grow up in the city, you don't. <laughs> These things amaze you. And at the same time, I do remember that moment, both in the poem and in the in the garden, where there was this group of kids and <laughs> they're chaperone or whatever it was like yay guys we have like squash squash and hummus sandwiches and it's like all black and brown kids and they're like yay (laughs) (laughs) and like how do you put that in a poem without like it's it's one of those moments that it's a poetic moment in itself and i find this happens a lot that you that the poetry is actually in the moment itself and so how do you bring that into the space of the lyric without giving away too much without being didactic, I guess. And so I decided to kind of switch, um, switch gears a little bit so that I was suggesting something without saying it. So I said all of them brown, like, okay, that's some information. And what I really wanted to say is like one, like one day I won't have to say that they're black and brown kids because it won't be that startling that they were happy about their squash sandwiches. But instead, I just switched gears and said, one day I'll have to say so that that moment is kind of belongs to the moment before it, you know, and I got happy that I did that. (laughs) It's one way to handle it, I guess. Uh Do you experience that? Like trying to make them like, how do you deal with moments that in themselves already feel like they have the poetry? Like, how do you bring those into your poems? Oh, you mean like moments we just encounter in life? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, you know, 
probably what's going to come out of this conversation is you're going to say, so Carl doesn't even think about anything. Uh, <laughs> you like to say you don't. <laughs> I, no, it's like, I don't know. I've never thought about this idea. I mean, things from real life obviously come into my poems, but I've never really, I've never really thought like how, how can this be in the poem? Or I just think, oh, I guess I'll put that there because I'm interested in it. Yeah. That seems like such an un... It sounds to me like what you're talking about is you didn't want to have to make this poem necessarily be grounded. Like race isn't like the aboutness of this poem. Right. Although race is always in anyone's poem, it seems to me. Yeah, and, I agree. <laughs> and, but it's like... That will startle like, some people. <laughs> well, well, it's like, yeah. Well, it's almost like there's a moment where you feel like, I need to mention this. As a person of color, I noticed that these kids right. were all black and brown. Right. Um, and I also, as the writer, resent a little bit that I'm expected to. And so it's like, I mean, one day I don't, won't have the expectation. But also, I think it's almost like a, a feeling that as a writer of color, when we do talk about something that for us is just incidental, like, oh, here are some brown kids. Right. Everyone acts like, oh, race poet. And, and yes. it's like, well, no, no one would say that. But it's almost like the problem of when there are just kids in a poem, everyone assumes they're white. And yeah, totally. you know, it's not specified. And so I feel like in that, that turn you're talking about, there's a, an interesting kind of ambivalence and a little bit of regret or sadness. Like, why can't I talk about this? Or why is it that I have to? or kind of a combination of both those questions. Totally. Which is to say, I haven't answered your question, but I threw it back at you. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were saying before we got on the call that these, the poems we picked seem a little uncharacteristic of the rest of the book. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think this poem I think maybe because of um, moments like that, where I guess the kind of synoptic moment, H.L. Hicks has this essay about synoptic moments and and poems that kind of lead up to them versus poems that move away from them. And in a way, I feel like this poem is kind of uh, leading up to a synoptic moment. But I don't know that that was necessarily it. So I agree with you that there's like, that's not, I was trying to find a way to include but not highlight that moment. But all of that is, I think the reason that this poem is written the way it is or winds up being written the way it is is because I feel like I did a lot of tinkering with this poem, a lot of revision, because I couldn't figure out, I mean, there's a lot of like (laughs) almost sentimental moments um, that weird hammock is in there. I'm like, I don't know if I want the hammock in there, but then I left it in there. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, one of the poems that I think I spent more time kind of uh, pushing and pulling on. Um, and then, you know, the, the uh, I suppose, I don't want to say, it's not, a, it's not straight meter, but, yeah. you know, whenever that happens, I think I, I find myself thinking more about um, rhythm on a line. So I was trying to organize it in that way. And yeah, the, tr- the, the <laughs> is it terrible to admit that I'm not quite sure why I said disbelieved? I don't know if that's a terrible thing to admit. I just, I know what I meant. 
or I know okay. how I meant, but I don't necessarily know why I picked that word specifically. I just know that it's right, you know, about the trees, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure. I don't know if the disbelieved is a little bit about being in a place that kind of sometimes, you know, place spaces like that. Sometimes I find myself thinking like, oh, it wasn't quite meant for me, you know? So I don't know mm-hmm. if that has something to do with it, but that's not, that, that word might be the most accidental part of this poem, actually. I love how you said that it, you read it. Yeah, to me, disbelieve seems, ex- seems exactly the right word at the end. And I think what makes it strange usefully strange is that people can be disbelieved, but I don't usually think of trees as being disbelieved. Um, but are you, you opened by saying that you couldn't believe that a place like that existed. So in that sense, in that sense the trees weren't believed in in any real way until you mm-hmm. were thrown into that context. Um, and so it's like, what does it mean that these things were always there, but they're only, they only exist for us until we believe them. And, yeah. um, which to me, goes back to those children and goes back to being a person of color and uh, I, I don't know, it seems right. But I also, I often feel like at the end of my poems, I'm not quite sure why did I choose that exit, but that's the exit. Wait, really? Because I think your poem, yeah. the end of your poems are amazing. Like I'm actually reading this book, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like you always seem to have a really strong sense of exit in your poems, it's always this kind of, well, I don't want to say always, but usually it's a, a very decisive and um, declarative exit. And it always seems to mark a kind of turn that I think, sometimes I think when people turn at the end of their poems, it, you wind up feeling like, oh, well, that's the beginning of a whole new poem. But mm-hmm. for you, it, it's, like, it's like you've opened a door. And I think that happens in the poem that I picked too. It's like you, you opened a door and suddenly you see like this, this whole other room, but it makes, but you could only see that room from the place that you're standing in. Uh, this is also how I write essays now, or it has been for a while, that I never thought I could write an essay because I hate having to have a sustained argument. And then one day I thought, you don't have to have a sustained argument. Why can't you? I remember that how essays originally, like in the days of like Montaigne or Montagna, however you say it, um, <laughs> that they were kind of like, I'm going to start thinking and let's see where I end up. Yeah. And, and, and wherever I end up, I couldn't have gotten there if I hadn't gone through all this other stuff that in an essay class, maybe someone would say, no, that's not needed. You know how everyone now writes that boring essay. It's like thesis statement. And then you... Yep. Right. I hate those essays and I like being surprised in what I read. And so I feel like, well, I want to be surprised and not feel like I was leading to an inevitable conclusion. Yeah. Because the big thing for me, because I used to be a real fan of the Louise Glick kind of ending that kind of throws down a commandment and says, I dare you to fuck with me. And <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, Louise, I won't. And And then I thought, but why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be sort of invitational and like, come and be lost with me? Um, So the the poem I picked of yours is The Steeper the Fall. Mm -hmm. Do you want to read it, Carl? Sure. Uh, The Steeper the Fall. Like this, he said, 
and we watched him reach for yet another fistful of straw and scatter it, filling those patches where the grass hadn't grown in enough. One half of me kept wanting to imagine him covering some shame, by now unacknowledged because barely felt anymore, though understood instinctively as never too far away. The other half kept still. Think of it like camouflage, he continued. People think camo, they think it's all about hunting. It ain't, it's about not being seen. Just beyond him, ravens staring down the field in general for any stray particulars seemed to wait for any of us to contradict him. No one did. In the dream, it's another time, earlier in history. You can sleep outside in the open country and wake as you fell asleep, untouched, nothing missing, whatever regret or happiness as unchanged as the lake's face on a day without wind. But this wasn't that dream. More like love, falling into it, what I'd heard about the falling, how it's separate from love, that it's love itself that prevents our remembering this until it's too late. You got something to say about it, he asked, looking vaguely toward all of us. Then he looked straight at me. So good. Well, I, as you know, I know you haven't asked a question yet, but I was thinking it's interesting that you spoke earlier about my endings because this is a poem that got radically reworked at the ending during really? production. Yeah, which I never do. It started with they couldn't accommodate the line length that I wanted. And so I started looking hard at the original poem and I, the more I looked at the original ending, it made no sense to me. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read you what the original ending was when it appeared in New England Review. Okay. Okay, so we have that thing about the dream, and it says, but this wasn't that dream. Yeah. You got something to say about it, he said, looking vaguely toward all of us, then straight at me. If there was to be any kind of tenderness here, this much I could tell. It would have to start with tenderness. I mean the word itself. So, oh my God, that's so weird. Because you know, the poem, that, the poem I almost picked of yours was Barbarian. And that's the uh -huh. one that ends you, um, this is not the first time I've seen that piece of tenderness. Mm -hmm. Gentleness, is that the yeah. word? Mm -hmm. Gentleness. Because um, that's beautiful. I mean, I picked this poem, specific, not, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite. I have so many favorites. I wanted to pick them all. Like I really love Defiance at the very end of the book. But I was like, oh, it's the last poem. And I do feel like that poem is kind of a culminating poem. Like if you get to that poem, it sort of puts the whole book into context. So I think it's something you should get to. But um, I picked this poem because um, I felt like it sort of touches on a lot of the motif of this book. Um, and it does a lot of things in this book that I think, I don't know, this book felt like I told you earlier, it feels more dense in a lot of ways. Like there's an, there's an, um, an airiness to your work. Um, and this book feels very thick to me. Um, and I feel like this poem kind of uh, encapsulates that. And it's interesting that you say that the more like love sentence wasn't in the original poem, because I feel like that line, more like love falling into it, um, how it's separate from love, like that kind of, um, negation or well i guess in this in this poem it's not exactly a negation but it's a distinction between mm -hmm. um one act and another act and that happens a lot in this book 
that's really fascinating and I feel like only you can pull off. <laughs> but um, I don't know. There's so many there's so many things about this poem that make me crazy. Like the the first thing um, that strikes me about this poem is how much you notice or how much you understand about the speakers just from a single action. Like mm-hmm. uh, not the speakers, but the like you have these characters. There's at least three people in this poem, right? Um, and like this, he said, and we watched. So there's at least three people. But then you said, um, we watched him reach for yet another fistful of straw and scatter it. And just that, that single action, like sometimes I feel like in poems, we are, are confused about relationships between speakers, um, about relationship between the, the speaker and um, whoever the subject is. And I feel like this poem kind of suggests that if we just can see one thing that that person is doing, we'll have an understanding about why they're in the poem. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I get so much from him sprinkling or scattering that straw. Um, And I, you know, it's, it's an emotional thing, right? Like it just seems, you know, this, the straw itself is so symbolic. It's bucolic. It can be stuffing, it can be covering. So it feels like it's kind of re- connected to the camouflage and the way of masking. Um, it's covering up the patches in the grass. So there's this agency, but there's also a lot of um, um, fear and hesitation in this poem that I also feel like is kind of motif in this book. There's a lot of fear in this book. There's a lot of talk about fear. There's a lot of uh, staving off fear or wrestling with it or, or like how fear works as um, a sort of indication of uh, not warning, I guess that's the wrong word, but a, an indication of um, like where your place is um, and your vantage point. And I feel like that action by that character kind of does that in this poem, like you get um, you get you get a sense of the speaker based on their vantage point to this other person who's kind of, you know, flitting across this field, scattering the straw. And vantage point is also another thing that I think is happening a lot in this in this book in general, which I mean it sort of makes sense from the title, right? The pale which I guess we should say this is from pale colors in a tall field. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and the vantage point seems to be um a there's a lot about proximity and distance. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, uh, I think the thing is, I'm really interested in, um, I've always been interested in power and more and more I'm interested in power dynamics. Um, yeah. which, which can be everything. I mean, you know, when we watch somebody, but they don't know we're watching them, um, we have a certain kind of power over them. Or like in the case of this, this guy scattering this stuff, that's what he's literally doing. But then we have the power if we want to say, oh, really, maybe he's covering up some secret shame, which is kind of ridiculous because it's like, we don't know his interior life, but, but I, I think of this as a poem and a little, in a way about frustration because it's like, mm. what, is it, what is it, Carl, that makes you 
see something ordinary and suddenly go down some rabbit hole thinking, oh, it's all about shame. And which is why I kind of, if I'm allowed to like any of my own ones, I kind of like the other part that says, well, half of me thought all this stuff about shame. The other half kept still because it's like, maybe that's the smarter half that just says, stop analyzing all the time. And, mm-hmm. and then you have this guy who says things like the thing that Jonathan asked me, he said, are you sure you want it ain't? He said, why are you using the word ain't? I want to say, because I know people who use it. <laughs> you also world? use the word old school. What poem was that in? You used the word old school. And I was like, oh. uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I do. And I use that phrase all the time. And, but it's like, are you sure you mean that? And it's like, yeah, I do. I don't always sound like some person who studied Greek and Latin. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> well, it's funny because that's, that's how you, I mean, you, you talk that way. But you, you very often have a different register in your poems. Well, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But anyway, yeah, I think this poem is sort of, it, it keeps going back and forth between this is what was happening and then a self-correction. Or even like yeah. the, the end, and there's a kind of dream that goes like this. And at the same time, then it says, but hey, this wasn't that dream. So like, why'd you even get lost in it for four lines? And Yeah. And so something about how even when we think we're in control of ourselves, that our mind drifts and leads us into places that aren't required. And, and I don't know. Um, I'm also interested in, the, in that line because of the contradictions. I guess that's what I meant by the sort of like um, enacting and then removing or um, enacting and then negating. Like the, that line, the um, wake when we fall asleep. Uh, you say you can sleep outside in the open country and wake as you fall as you fell asleep. It's mm-hmm. a kind of uh, it's a dichotomy. It's a paradox that shouldn't work, right? But <laughs> you always kind of put these things. It's like that's the tension. There's a that that's the tension of the syntax that you are sort of like enacting something and then immediately removing it. I guess. Um, it's sort of what makes it feel discursive, but it also kind of challenges all the, I don't know, it's a way of challenging symbolism, I think. That you- I don't know, that all very heady. I couldn't even tell you. That would mean I'd have to understand what symbolism is. Oh, we're on a recording. <laughs> well, it's like, I don't know what- I feel like I'm supposed to say something heady. Um, you know, I sometimes think that the thing that amuses me most about people when they talk about my poems is they somehow assume that I'm vastly smarter than I am. And so they'll go into this, and maybe this happens to you too. It's like, oh, you clearly were thinking A, B, and C, right? And and then I'll, I used to say, oh, no, not at all. And then I'd realize, oh, if I just nod, they'll they'll say, oh, wow, we are, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of his intellect. And it's like, he's not even revealing everything. But he didn't get to D, E, and F. So it's you know, like, one of the things that I wanted to, I sort of wanted to ask you about, which maybe feels less, head, less heady, um, is about um, listener. Because another thing that I, I found myself thinking about in this book, maybe unlike in other books, um, it made me wonder if you have, like, oh, okay, I'll tell you this. I came up with a prompt based on this book for myself. Um, mm-hmm. I asked, I asked uh, 
my partner to ask me a question, like a, a rhetorical question that mm -hmm. I feel like I really have to kind of answer. And it sort of worked. And it, and it because because in reading this book, I kind of felt like you were, you're you're answering a question that shouldn't be able to be answered, a rhetorical question, a kind of big philosophical question. Um, and so it, to someone specifically though, like it feels like you have a listener and it made me wonder mm -hmm. if you think about them that way or if you do, or if you, if you have one listener or many listeners. I don't know, myself. <laughs> I mean, that's actually the truth. I, I feel like uh, I didn't know it would get me in so much trouble when I first started using the word you in poems. And, and ever since then, people will say, who's he mean? You know, who's he addressing this to? A lover, a, you know, the past, history? And yeah. I think it's usually just me and, you know, talking to myself. Um, I don't know. Or imagine, I guess... In that way, I don't, I never remember quotes from people, but I think Frost says something about an argument the writer is having with himself, or I don't know, he yeah. says that to somebody. And, and so I feel like, well, we have all these different selves in our heads, and I'm often sort of choiring with them and, you know, hearing one thing and, and another thing happens. I mean, this, I find this poem weird because to me, it comes out of not, nowhere. I mean, I suppose, yes, I saw some grass that had been scattered over some, some straw that had been scattered over some bare patches on a walk. But I didn't encounter a person actually doing this. And, you know, and I don't know who all these people are supposed to be and why suddenly it goes into a dream. I do, I, I do know that I was reading Paul Yoon's book, The Mountain. It's a kind of these linked stories and they take place in a sort of strange to me in a kind of imaginary europe of the 19th century where people do things like they just are tired so they they lie down in a field and sleep for the night and mm. in my mind i think i would never do that you know people will rob me they'll attack me um animals will eat me whatever but I, but there's so i found myself fascinated by that kind of a time period when maybe that was possible to do mm. but you know even like Apparently here in St. Louis, people used to in the summers very often sleep in Forest Park because people didn't have air conditioning and it was cooler. Yeah. And now I can't imagine sleeping in the park overnight. Um, yeah. So, but why that ends up being in the poem? And like in a workshop, I could see someone saying, oh, that, that should be taken away. That doesn't, that's not essential. One other thing I want to say about your poems, and then you're going to say that I'm being too heavy, but whatever. <laughs> um, one of the things that I we were talking about we read Wild as the Wind in the class that I just taught and um, one of the things we were talking about is how symbolism works in your work and I feel like it got me to a to a key about how a lot of your poems work that the the symbols it's not exactly I guess this is kind of what people mean when they say psychic weight but it's not exactly psychic weight. It's more like you choose symbols that have very simple, but really rich connotation, like straw, you know, like it's such a simple symbol, but it, it but it, it speaks to so many things that, you know, like as soon as I read that, 
you know, in, in my like pedestrian brain, I thought, oh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the straw man, um, the scarecrow, you know? Um, but it, uh, but it's also kind of bucolic and um, sort of a staple, you know, to any farming land or farming life, right? So I don't know. It's just, and, and you, and that, the straw in this poem seems connected to the camouflage, which is also a different kind of sort of um, fundamental symbol. And you do that a lot. And I feel like, um, I don't know if you, if that comes natural for you, if you make those decisions intentionally, but it's sort of, it gives so much weight to being able to connect personal experience with your poems. Well, I'm glad. I mean, no, it's, it's not intentional. And I used to get, I used to get upset that people would think everything I wrote was allegorical, like, everything's stiff or something. Um, because, I mean, like the straw, it literally is straw that was, like I said, on a patch of bare grass on a neighbor's yard. So it doesn't mean anything to me except literally what it is. Um, but I see that in the course of a poem that's also talking about camouflage and also imagining the interior life of somebody, mm -hmm. then it starts to become about like immediate appearance versus what's underneath what's underneath the straw what's behind camouflage what's behind a human face and mm -hmm. so those things start coming together even though i didn't intend anything like that um but i've always thought this is how you produce your poems i get the sense that they're not planned and it always feels like i don't know when i read your poems i feel as if i guess i've said before language itself is getting quietly remade it's like okay the available language isn't quite enough how can i remake it and it seems like it's like bricklaying in some ways i feel yeah. like led through the making and the yeah i mean the only thing planned is in the revision i i, I don't i i can't as a matter of fact this this fourth book that i'm working on is is so difficult because i feel like i'm trying i'm working specifically with research and so that means that part of it's already thought out, right? Like thought there's a there's a plan there, and that yeah. freaks me out because I don't always know how to write when you're when you know what you're supposed to do. I have no idea how to do that. I'm figuring it out. We've strayed very far from so far. like everybody doesn't want any of this. No, is this your fifteenth book? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I still get upset when people say, "Oh." You're so prolific. And I think, oh my God, I, I'm not. I don't write every day or anything. So. Okay, oh. Carl. <laughs> you know. Wait, Carl, we have to say the thing. Oh. What do we have to say? We have to say, I'm Carl Phillips. And I'm Francine Harris. And this has been Well Versed. And it's been such a pleasure to be with you. Likewise. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Goodbye, Francine. Goodbye.